you don't want one family member to say, oh, mom would have wanted to be kept alive forever in case, you know, there's miracles we see in the movies or the other one saying, let's pull the plug right away. You know, we, we have all of these, these family members that all have all these wishes, but it's so important for you to express to them what you would want because it's your life that's in their hands to make those decisions. Welcome to the Prosperous and Happy Life podcast. I'm Mary Hagerman, investment advisor, financial planner, and portfolio manager with Raymond James in Montreal. In this podcast, I'm delighted to share tips and experiences from my quest to help my clients be prosperous and happy. For over 30 years, I've worked with thousands of clients and countless experts, all looking to have a rich and fulfilling life. My interests go far beyond the realm of money, and you'll get a taste of that here. In my interviews, I share stories and wisdom, along with advice from the many experts I've encountered. You can put all of this to good use in your life or your work or both. I hope you'll join me each month for a new episode, either on Spotify or Google Podcasts. Please subscribe, like, and share with friends. Benjamin Franklin famously said, it's impossible to be sure of anything except death and taxes. Or maybe you've heard this profound statement, from the moment we are born, we begin to die. Yes, I know it sounds pretty gloomy, but there's no getting around the fact that the subject of death elicits a lot of emotion. If you've heard me speak or read my book, the Black Belt Investor, you know that emotions and money do not make for a great combination. Well, emotions, money, and death can be a toxic cocktail. Today's podcast will help you prepare for the inevitable and make life a lot easier for you and your heirs. I've enlisted the expert advice of Marissa Ladinia. She provides estate trust, and incapacity planning services to Quebec-based clients of Raymond James. Prior to joining our firm, Marissa worked for close to 10 years in private practice at a well-known Montreal law firm where she specialized in wills and estate law. She holds a Bachelor of Commerce degree from McGill University and a Bachelor of Law degree from the University of Montreal. Marissa, I'm so happy to have you as a guest on The Prosperous and Happy Life. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Mary. Your work is highly emotional and legally complex. So I'm curious to know, what got you interested in estate planning? You know, it's interesting. I I think I sort of fell into it by chance at my old law firm, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I love helping people solve their problems. And For me, to me, it gave me a lot of comfort to know when I was sitting with a client and I was giving them practical solutions to their planning issues, that look on their face that gave them that relief, that gave me the best feeling. And I could say after that, I sort of never looked back, although it was never what I anticipated practicing at the beginning of my career. Wow. Well, listen, I've I've listened to you speak on estate planning on a few occasions, and you and your team have put together a webinar series that was really popular with clients. So I know I've given you a big task for this podcast, and I've asked you to give us your four top estate planning tips. So are you up to the challenge? I am most absolutely up to the challenge. 
<laughs> I'm sure you are. So let's start with your tip number one. I would say my tip number one, I could talk to you about all day long. So I will keep it as brief as possible, but it really is all encompassing and covers everything we will talk about today. And that is, it is critical to have up-to-date documents. And when I mean documents, I don't just mean your will, but I also mean to have an up-to-date protection mandate. Um, that's a document you might have heard if you live in Quebec, a living will or a mandate in the event of incapacity. And that's a document that you would utilize if you're ever alive, but deemed incapable. Like, for example, if you ever were diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, and that's often what you might hear people in other provinces or in the United States call a POA. We have POAs or power of attorney in Quebec too, but only for when you're capable of revoking them. So it is very important, I would say, every few years or when you have a major life event occur to revisit your documents. And that it, those include, like I said, your will and your pr uh, protection mandate. And, you know, Sometimes people ask me, oh, well, why should I take a look? Or what would make me decide to, to review my documents? Well, you know, sometimes time passes fast, as I'm sure we all know, and it could be years since your children were little, and that might be the last time you took a look at your will. So the provisions in there might not be applicable anymore. You might have grown adults now as children, and you might have named a, a tutor or a guardian for them in your old will. Um, so that's something to, to think about, and the provisions as to how they would receive their inheritance based on their ages at that time. Um, and on the flip side of that, you know, now perhaps they're adults, maybe very capable of handing an in, handling an inheritance, but at the same time, um, we all know that there are some adults that, you know, might have their own issues, for example, substance abuse or dependency, other dependency issues or disabilities. And so it's very important to properly provide um, for all your beneficiaries in your will. Yeah, yeah. So, so listen, I know you've got so much information that you can just, <laughs> you can keep talking about so much really important stuff. But I want to focus on the idea that, um, you know, you don't just do things once and then put your documents away. And this is what I encounter quite a bit with clients because um, I tell them a bit like a financial plan your estate documents have to be reviewed on a regular basis. So let's just go over once again, name the important documents that people should be focusing on when they stop to think, okay, what's happened in my life? What important changes have there been? And these are the documents that I should look at updating. Absolutely. So first is your will, um, because like you said, Death is certain no matter what. So you want to make sure I always tell clients to plan for the future, but at the same time, plan as if, if God forbid something happened to you tomorrow, you want to be comfortable with the wishes in that document. And that's why it's always important to revisit it. Um, and at the same time, the protection mandate is a key document because um, I, I like to call it an insurance policy. It's that document that is used if you are ever deemed incapable, if you were ever declared incapable. Um, it might never have to be used if you go through your life with your marbles the whole way through. It's never used, but it's often too late to think about drafting it when it would ever be needed. So it's something I say, get it done. Don't think about it again after that, but it's just there in the back of your mind in the event it's ever needed. Well, I think this is a great time for me to tell a story that I share in my book. 
um, about a client, and of course the name and circumstances are modified to uh, to protect uh, to protect people's anonymity, but uh, or privacy. So um, I had a client who saw her mother declining with age, and she was an only child. And at one point, she felt that the mother had dementia and she should probably act to get something in place so that she could act on her behalf. Well, turns out she waited too long. Um, At that point, it was not acceptable that the mother sign any documents giving her a power of attorney, a power of attorney, excuse me. And she ended up with a public curator administering her mother's affairs when she was perfectly apt to do so, an only child, but uh, waited too long, unfortunately, to get those documents in place. So when my question to you, that based on this story and what you've said, uh, how early should people be looking at getting these documents um, in place? Um, you know, I would say either when you have children, because you, you can provide in your will for your last wishes as to who would take care of your children in the event both you and your spouse are no longer here. Or if you don't have children, but you own property, um, it becomes important to have a will just to make sure that everything you went as you're growing your, your assets throughout your life. It's important to make sure that those assets will pass to who you want them to. Obviously, the protection mandate in our minds, we always like to think that that, like I said, it might never be needed to be enforced, but um, it's a good document to have in place, like I said, early on, and then hopefully never have to think about it again, although important to revisit. But I always say, take care of the protection mandate at the same time as the will. They often go hand in hand. Your professionals will often give a nice pricing bundle for the two documents together. So I would say, get them done as quickly as possible, and then don't think about them again until this the life change. But like you said, it's an ongoing process. And if a light bulb goes on in your head and says, I, I think it's time to update, even if it's one small thing, it's a good idea to take a look. And there might be more to update than you initially thought. And I like your advice to see a professional for that. And we certainly have uh, resources for people to help them out. But, you know, I often encounter clients when I ask them, "Is are your affairs up to date? Do you have a, a recent will? And they'll say, you know, I've got to get around to it. I've got to get around to it, but I just don't have time. Are there any stopgap measures to get something temporarily in place until you see a bona fide professional to have a will drawn up. What would you suggest for that? So absolutely. In, it's a great question. In Quebec, we have three types of wills. We have holograph wills, which are handwritten, signed, and dated by the person who's written it, the testator. And then you have a will done before witnesses, which has a few different uh, rules as to how it has to be drawn up. And then we have the notarial will, which, as you mentioned, maybe people are hesitant to you know, get done, book that appointment, take the time to formalize everything that sometimes stops them. But I always say, it's a great idea. Like if you don't have the time to make the notary appointment, write up that holograph will, absolutely, so that you have something that's better than nothing. But at the end of the day, I highly recommend not waiting too long on that notarial will, because 
one of the hesitations might be that it's um, more costly, but ultimately, um, if you do not have a notario will, your estate, your your will in whatever other form it is, in holograph or will before witnesses, would have to be probated by the courts, which is more expensive than it would be to draw up the notarial will. And there is the delay, the court delay, to obviously have the document probated after. So that delays the start of the settlement of your estate at the same time. So a little bit of you know, short-term pain for long-term gain is really, that's the case here when you're thinking about drafting that will or not formally. Well, that's that's great advice, and it's true. You know, short-term gain for long-term pain. <laughs> yep. But but try to do the right thing first, and uh, you'll be better served. You know, there's so much paperwork involved in preparing a state, an estate um how, like, how do you decide who should be involved and, and, and who you choose to manage your own affairs? Um, you know, possibly this takes you to tip number two on your series of four tips for us. <laughs> it most certainly does, although it sort of connects to number one. I would say it is very, very important to properly, you know, give a lot of thought and consideration into who you want to appoint as your liquidator, or you might have heard executor um, of your estate, naming in your will, um, and also who you will be appointing as your mandatory to property, that's to manage your assets in the event you're alive but incapable, and to your medical mandatories, and those are the individuals that would be uh, making your medical decisions on your behalf in the event you are um, incapable. And there is quite a bit to consider. Um, I will say, um, it used to be that everyone thought it was an honor to be appointed, but sometimes when they're actually appointed in all of these roles, they realize the time that it takes, um, the particular knowledge that might be required. Um, and, you know, do you live close by? Sometimes if people are around the same age, they might be a great first choice, but it's important to have um, backups or replacements that are perhaps a bit more youthful or professional um, executors or mandatories, just to make sure that there is someone that can always be there to act um, in the event that, you know, you your services are required. Right. And, and I've certainly encountered in my discussions with clients and when I ask about their will and the executor, often in cases where, where the will is quite dated, they can't even remember their executor or their executor turns out is in another city now and isn't even close by to be able to uh, administrate an estate. It's um, it's it's like you say, it's not necessarily an honor. Obviously, if you name someone executor, it's someone who you trust and, and you're making that, uh, you know, if you're making that apparent by naming them executor. But um, I recently had a discussion with a client in my office who confided that, uh, he had been named executor for his mom, his mom's will. Um, she didn't necessarily have a lot of property uh, that she was leaving behind, but he said, I would never wish that on anyone to be named an executor. He said it was a lot of work and a terrible experience because of because of family dynamics. So t tell me a little bit about that, like having to navigate with other family members when you've been appointed an executor? I was going to say, that's the best part. I always say, you know, people start, sometimes you have relatives that come out of the woodwork after looking for 
something from an estate, but that is a huge, huge part of acting as a liquidator. Sometimes they say you're a psychologist at the same time or, uh, you know, camp counselor trying to gather, um, you know, manage all the different emotions and relationships and uh, cast of characters um, in a family. Um, and even if everybody gets along, always during uh, a lifetime, as, as you and I both know and have seen in our careers, like you said, it's a toxic cocktail sometimes. Um, a lot of the complaints or what I've heard, the horror stories that come from liquidators are really dealing with the pressure that they feel that from beneficiaries. Um, you know, I work in this role as a professional liquidator here at, our, at Raymond James, and it's a lot of tedious work to do. It takes time to settle in the state. And like I said, sometimes you have those family members exerting a lot of pressure on the liquidator asking for funds very quickly. And it's very important for everyone to remember that a liquidator has fiduciary responsibility. They are liable for the decisions that they make. So as much as they might want to really help out and make those distributions to family, they have to make those educated, informed decisions before doing so. If they distribute too much and then taxes are owing, they are on the line if more is owing than what's left in the estate. So I often say that, you know, sometimes people behave better when there are professionals involved. Um, and so that's why sometimes people lean towards having that professional uh, liquidator appointed. But it's, there's there's less pressure there sometimes when they know that someone's doing it really by the book and the family sometimes appreciates as well or the testator the person who's whose will um you're being appointed in to say i'm giving everyone whatever they're getting from my estate but i'm also giving them all peace of mind that one person or two or three are not going to be responsible for dealing with everyone here and making sure that everyone is happy or as my beneficiaries when you're um providing appointing a, a professional to act in, in that role. You know, it is, you've made a good point that people will often behave better when there's <laughs> someone who isn't involved with the family. And uh, I kind of equate it to the Thanksgiving meal. Uh, when it's just the family, there's one kind of conversation. But when you have family and guests, people, people have a tendency to, you know, just to pay, pay a bit more attention to uh to, to language and rapport and that kind of thing. I was just going to add, add there for one second, Mary, because that's so key. I'm thinking about the Thanksgiving meal, you know, um, when there's a family or children from a first marriage and a second a spouse, and everyone might get along during the um, spouse's lifetime, but once they're gone, but you want to take care of everyone, how does that work? Who takes care of all the different generations? So these are all things to really think about. Right. And and we don't have enough time to get into all of that uh, <laughs> in this podcast, which we, we like to keep down to 30 minutes. But Absolutely. certainly with uh, re, recomposed families, it gets quite uh, intricate in how people react after death when there's a first wife, a second wife, the first set of children, the second set of children. So I can imagine somebody who might be named as an executor who decides that perhaps after death, they aren't interested anymore in having a task of being executor or liquidator. So it is possible to back out of the role then and to even turn it over to a a professional company. We can act as agents, even if they want to act in that role, but they think that they'll need the help. 
um, and, you know, manage those family relationships, we can act as agents as well. And I think that also is a, a great solution for a lot of people who want to accept the role, but don't want to deal with all the behind the scenes that comes with it. Yeah, because um, as you've pointed out in the past, when we've had discussions and in your your webinars, uh, people who are appointed to be liquidators uh, can ask for a remuneration. They can ask to be paid for for the job that they do. So, I mean, if you if you're prepared to pay an individual to do it, you can also pay a trust company to do it if you want to bypass the um, the difficult family situations. But there's no question that conversations with the family about money and about what happens, what your intentions are after death are extremely important because that prepares everyone for what's in the will and what happens after death. So what what can you do or what can you say to, to help people sort of engage in these conversations and prepare family about what their intentions are before a death occurs? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. I think it's a great segue sort of to my point number three, um, if, if that's okay. But, you know, something that keeps coming up more and more often in our discussions with clients are, like you said, um, talk to your family. Um, talk to them about your medical wishes. And we'll touch upon something else a bit later, dealing with your estates. Um, but it's very important if you're naming medical mandatories and more than one person to act as your medical mandatory to make your medical decisions. If you're alive but incapable, um, to really talk to them about what you want. Uh, the, re the reality is in, in today's world, people are living longer and longer, but unfortunately, sometimes with these neurodegenerative uh, diseases, so they're here, but they can't express to you what they would want. So there's a component in the protection mandate that can talk about your medical wishes. And you and I discussed the other day that in Quebec, there is also a document called the Advanced Medical Directive. And that is a document that's completed with the Régie Assurance Maladie de Québec, or RAMQ. Um, and that's a document that you would fill out now, preemptively, talking about in certain end-of-life situations, or if you have a um, condition that you're not going to recover from, there are specific treatments in these medical directives that you consent or not to the treatments. Uh, you know, if you need to be on a respirator or not, or if you need dialysis or not or force feeding and hydration, when you're already in these end of life situations, you have the right to make those wishes clear. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense too. And, and until we were sort of preparing for this, uh, for this podcast, I didn't realize there was such a thing as an advanced medical directive. I had actually asked you at the time, uh, it makes me think of, you know, the organ donation form, that uh, you fill out when you renew your driver's license. But it, but it makes sense to have all of these things recorded somewhere so that, um, and, and in actual fact, when push comes to shove and you're confronted with a situation where someone is hospitalized, very, very sick, and this medical directive would kick in if the doctors identify that this is in the system, even if family members would decide that they wanted to have medical treatment to keep the person alive, they couldn't override this directive. Is that correct? 
Exactly. The advanced medical directive is paramount. And if the document, like I said, it's for particular situations and particular medical treatments. If, if, if the, you require something medically done that is not uh, set out in that document, that's where they would look at the protection mandate um, and where you have a lot of flexibility there to pr include your wishes um, with respect to what you want. And we talked the other day about, you know, if you appoint more than one person, it's important to have those conversations with them in advance, like I had just mentioned, because you don't want one family member to say, oh, mom would have wanted to be kept alive forever in case, you know, there's miracles we see in the movies. Or the other one saying, let's pull the plug right away. You know, we, we have all of these, these family members that all have all these wishes, but it's so important for you to express to them what you would want because it's your life that's in their hands make those decisions. That's an excellent point. And and this advanced uh, medical directive that you're talking about, it shouldn't be confused with uh, a medical aid in dying. No, um, those are... Um, the advanced medical directive is this advanced document that you would sign now, and it can be used in the events right when you're incapable of expressing your uh, wishes. But the medical assistance in dying right now is um, on the table only if you are able at that time, if you're able to consent to um, asking for assistance with, with dying. There's so many things to, to think about to get, as we say, your affairs in order. And um, I mean, it's great that this this particular directive is actually recorded with the Régie d'assurance maladie du Québec so that uh, for sure it's not going to get lost. But how do we ensure that these other documents and things are easily found by family uh, following death? There's so many things that people leave behind after death, including a digital presence. What, what do you uh, counsel for that? So uh, that's a great question or uh, you know, segue to my next point. And that's really, we really do recommend as much as possible, although not ideal, not ideal, it's not always perfect um, because of our constantly ever-changing ever world. But we always do say, have a centralized place to the best of your ability where you have a lot of your important information stored. You know, it used to be uh, my parents, before they would go on vacation, would say, Marissa, on this shelf in my closet is where you'll find my file folder with all my information. And that might be the case for a certain generation. Um, or now it might be a USB that's on the shelf uh, with a lot of the information. But um, it is very important to have everything kept together to the greatest extent possible. What we offer, I know our, our friends in financial planning at Raymond James provide to clients this excellent estate planning reference guide. And there's a table of, it's, it's a little booklet. You could have it in digital format or in, you know, they can give you a nice little thick booklet for you to complete at your leisure. And it includes all your important information, where your will is, where your protection mandate is, where, what your, where your accounts are, if you have safety deposit boxes, listing of your different assets and, you know, passwords um, and information about online accounts. So it's not always perfect because, you know, we might get prompts to update our password fairly often for, for different accounts, but we do our best to try to tell clients, try to keep it up to date, try to remember to, 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 to update it when necessary. And we're looking into further ways to help sort of have a digital safe to help store clients uh, information. 
digital information. Well, I, I use the guide that you're talking about quite a bit with clients. Not everybody rushes to fill it out, I'll be honest with you. But uh, it's a great guide, and we're going to make that uh, available to people in the podcast uh, notes. I have a story that kind of goes along with what you're saying about people taking stock of what they want to give away after death. And I had a great aunt who was quite wealthy and she had a piece of tape stuck under all her furniture behind all the paintings, basically on everything she owned with a person's name on it. And that's how you knew if you'd inherited something is if there was a piece of tape on (laughs) the object in question that had your name on it. So Marissa, you've done a great job of distilling a lot of information into basically four points. Maybe you could sum them up once again so that we make sure that people have taken note of what each of those points are. Oh, absolutely. That's a great reminder for everyone. Key point. So number one, and I cannot stress this enough, make sure your documents are up to date. And by documents, I mean your will and your protection mandate. Number two, to make sure that those people that you are want you want to appoint in your will and mandate to act as your liquidator um, and medical and mandatory to property are the right people. Really take time to think about that. Number three is, I would say, make your medical wishes known to your family, a very important one. And number four, to really try to have a centralized location for important documents. It only makes everyone's life easier when you are no longer here or able to express yourself and tell them where everything is. So thank you later, I promise. Those are four great points, and we'll keep reminding people and sharing the documentation that that your team has made available for our clients. So thank you so much, Marissa. But don't go away. Don't go away. I have one last question for you because I ask all of my podcast guests, Marissa, what's your definition of prosperous and happy? Oh, this is a great question, Mary. I tried to give it a little bit of thought, but I really kept going back to the same sort of concept. And, you know, we always hear the expression, I'm sure we never know what tomorrow will bring. And I think sometimes in in this career, I see sometimes firsthand that really, you know, things come up and things happen that we can never have planned for. And so we live one life uh, and it goes by very quickly. So we really have to take the time to enjoy that. And I would say, number one, means love what you do in your career because you spend a lot of time doing it, but you need to have that balance as well. So you need to spend time with friends and family and hopefully in good health. And that both of those points together will really, I hope, allow someone to thrive emotionally and financially. And that's what it really means to me to lead lead a prosperous and happy life. Well, that's super, super advice, Marissa, in addition to your four points on what you must absolutely do before you die. So I'd like to take a moment to say thank you to everyone for tuning in. And please make sure to subscribe to the Prosperous and Happy Life on Spotify, Captivate, or Google Podcasts. We'll be releasing new episodes the last Friday of every month. If you're interested in receiving our estate planning guide that Marissa was referring to to help you get your affairs in order or receive links to our estate planning webinar series that Marissa was in charge of, please contact my team through our website, www.maryhagerman.ca. You can also sign up there for our free monthly newsletter. 
And in the meantime, you can follow me on LinkedIn and Facebook at Mary Hagerman. The link is in the description box below. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast has been prepared by and expressed the opinions of Mary Hagerman and not necessarily the opinions of Raymond James Limited. Statistics, data, and other information presented are from sources RJL believes to be reliable, but their accuracy cannot be guaranteed. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchases of securities. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerances before making any investment decisions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and should not be construed as providing legal, accounting, and or tax advice. Should viewers have any specific questions and or issues in these areas, please consult your legal, tax, and or accounting advisor. RJL is a member of the Canadian Investors Protection Fund.